welcome to the Family Travel Podcast by A Big Peachy Adventure, where we help families plan their adventures, whether it's for a week, indefinite, or anywhere in between. No matter what your budget, we bring you hints and tips from the experts, inspirational stories of families who are living their dreams, as well as must-see highlights from places that we and our guests visit. Hi, it's Michael here, and today we're in Batemans Bay on the south coast in New South Wales. Uh, excuse Nat's absence in this interview, I'm flying solo this time, as we'd just pulled into the caravan park before the conversation and had a grizzly baby who just wanted lots of mama hugs. Uh, in today's podcast, we're excited to cover first aid essentials for the travellers. I'm sure you'll get something out of this whether you've done a first aid course before or not, and some of this information could even be life-saving. We have with us the directors of Clinical FX, Medical Moulage and Training Solutions, www.clinicalfx.com.au, whose first response training not just gives formal qualifications, such as the Provide First Aid, the, the course formerly known as Senior First Aid, but it's designed to give you the knowledge and skills necessary to identify and manage immediate life-threatening injuries or illnesses. Uh, Cam Johnson, he's got 15 years of experience as a paramedic in both Australia and the US and over 20 years of experience with the Army. Uh, he's also a long-time friend of mine and someone who I've always respected, especially regarding his uh, pretty candid views on first-line medical treatment. Joe Salter, a registered nurse with over 20 years as a military medic, uh, which includes operational experience. Today's episode's a longer one, as we cover things like the main injuries and causes of illness for travelling families, the first aid skills that every person should know, and also the additional training requirements for families with small children. From this interview, the things I got the most out of, how the current Provide First Aid course is missing arguably the most life-saving and easily easy-to-learn skill and piece of equipment, and also how the current curriculum of Provide First Aid is actually teaching outdated practices that may actually cause harm. Also, why you should have two separate first aid kits and the must-have items that you should have in your life-saving first aid kit. So without further ado, here it is. Welcome, Cam and Joe. Thanks for coming on a, uh, to a Big Peachy Adventure. Thanks, Peachy. So to start off with, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about you, your background, your qualifications and what it is you do? So we're going to be talking about all things first aid and survival with the, when it comes to touring around Australia in sort of remote environments. And uh, as you said, you've got myself, Joe. I've got a long background in teaching first aid to a whole different um, spectrum of people in all different walks of life and for all different reasons. And I'm really keen on conceptualising training. I don't like the one-size-fits-all model. Um, and it goes very nicely in doing adult education uh, when it comes to my career or my job, which is a registered nurse um, and working mostly in the sort of uh, emergency or first response environment. And then uh, good old Cam over here. Yeah, so uh, my background's in um, paramedics. Um, started that in the US. I married an American girl and uh, worked, uh, trained and worked over there and then came back home, which is Hobart, Tasmania, and worked here, and then uh, just the uh, last couple of years got back from working in South Australia. Um, met Joe through our service in the ADF, and uh, when she suggested we team up and do a uh, first aid training well, company. No, you suggested it first, and well, then I went, oh, I don't know, <laughs> and yeah. then we got excited. Well, it was a no-brainer because you surround yourself with, uh, with brilliant people, you're going to do all right. So that's why we're talking to you too, Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And um, 
being in Hobart, what's it like there today? Well, it's it's much better than it was uh, yeah. a, a few days ago because we've just gotten over the flooding event of uh, Thursday night. Um, there's still a lot of cleanup to do. I still feel like everything is damp. Nothing is quite dried out yet. But um, it's it's not a bad day today. But the sun's kind of trying to shine through. Barmy 15. Barmy 15. But if yeah. you come back in half an hour, it'll all have changed anyway because that's the Tassie motto. If you don't like the weather, we'll see you in 30 minutes. <laughs> Lovely. And... Um... What type of camping do you guys like to do? When, well, when I was young, uh, it was pr- pretty remote stuff. Like mum and dad were very much about throwing a few things in the back of a car and just going for, for a bit of a drive. And then as I got older, we ended up doing the usual, got a caravan and we did a lot of caravanning um, camping, which as a kid I kind of liked, but my dad snored. So I like to be a little away from that. Uh, and then we went into the typical Australian dream of having a shack and I grew up pretty much around the beach environment in that sense, uh, always meeting new people, always being exposed to people on the road um, and travelling around. Most of mine was just sort of weekend trips and then whenever there was a school holidays, it was take advantage of that and, and get out. And now I've got a couple of little kids of my own. I'm trying to teach them how to uh, enjoy the outdoors because that's the main trouble with kids nowadays. You, they, they don't do anything without a little bit of reluctance if there's no power and electronics. Um, so I'm slowly working them up to that and they're doing pretty well so far. But my husband, unfortunately, is uh, not a camping person. He does like the, the softer side of life. He needs his pillow, the poor fellow. You, you have those in caravans. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, you too. I try and tell him these things, but I don't know, he, he doesn't listen. And how about yourself, Cam? Yeah, so um, to be honest, I wasn't a big fan of camping as a, uh, a young fella, but um, I joined the Army at age 17, and that has a uh, unique ability to beat out any fears and things you don't agree with pretty quickly. Um, Would you call that camping, though? That's not camping. Well, <laughs> that's... I, I was going to say, it kind of led me into more of a hiking um yeah. Last time, I've done a few um, uh, extended walks here in uh, southern Tasmania, which have been uh, a fantastic experience. And um, one with yourself, Peachy, what's that, nearly 10, ten years, years ago? ago? Yeah, so um, my idea is uh, a bit more hiking and I guess remote, and um, I could probably thank that to the Army. But um, yeah, obviously now I've got two uh, younger kids as well, and um, we try and try and get away as best we can, but just busy with uh, you know working three or four jobs and and uh, and life in general, but um, we try and get away when we can. I don't think we've either of us have got it in in us to uh, to do the the cruisy trip around. Well, not cruisy, but the trip around Australia with the nothing but the caravan and the <laughs> and the radio. That's uh, pretty pretty ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> we're, to, we're our hats off. If you can see us now, we're we're, yeah. we're not worthy. Uh, congratulations to anyone out there and does it. It's actually way easier than what people give it credit for, and to be it's easier than living at home. That's that's what I reckon anyway. So that's why that's why we've got this podcast to show people how easy it is. So um, yeah, 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 that's yeah. exactly right. You you never know. You might sway us. We'll see how we go. <laughs> and, and what's been Joe in particular your favourite place you've travelled to in Australia? 
Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that fussy. If you can point me in the direction of a bit of brim fishing and a beach, you've, you've kind of sold me. That's all I really need. I'm a bit like Cam. I'll go, Cam, I'll go hiking and things like that, but I'm always drawn to anywhere where there's a beach environment. Love my water sports um, and the kids just thrive in that environment. So that's kind of my thing. And Cam, a favourite place for yourself? Oh, it has to be southern Tasmania. The temperate rainforests are absolutely beautiful and uh, the more remote, the better because it's less uh, less touched and, and uh, tracks tracks worn by humans. Um, however, um, the Flinders Ranges is also a pretty spectacular countryside, just a different different terrain. Um, and I'm a big, big fan of uh, far north Queensland as well, quite pretty. Well, I guess one of, one of the first questions I've got is, you know, how useful is first aid for the everyday person? So, you know, are there any examples, I guess, of situations where someone has had an issue and first aid has been rendered by someone with, uh, you know, they've done a provide first aid course or something similar, and then when you guys have arrived, it's made a massive difference to the outcomes. Are those, does those sort of situations really happen? In my job, um, my, my, my full-time job, which is working for Amos Tasmania, um, you'll see examples of first aid nearly every day, um, ranging from minor um, interventions through to, um, on occasions, uh, definitely life-saving situations. And, and the one that springs to mind is a, uh, uh, say, middle-aged gentleman that um, collapsed on the local golf course. Um, he was attended by several other golfers uh, that day. I actually found out because one of those um, bystanders called me that night for a bit of an informal debrief because he was pretty pretty chuffed of how, how things went out, uh, worked out. But um, to cut a long story short, basically it was a cardiac arrest. Um, the bystanders provided um, CPR until the club pro turned up with an AED, a, a defibrillator. Um, in the process, the ambulance was called. They had a, a several units to attend. And um, basically got, got, got what they call ROSC, so return of spontaneous circulation. And um, the gentleman involved who had the cardiac arrest is back playing golf now. Um, so a really good, uh, feel-good story of successful interventions by bystanders and that, that wouldn't have had that outcome had he not had um, immediate first aid and uh, resuscitation by those people um, and then a quick response from the ambulance service just to top it off. So, yeah, we still talk about it from time to time at the club and um, it makes everyone feel really good and now uh, hopefully we're going to do some first aid classes down there as well in the coming coming month or two. So. Yeah, yes, but it, it yes. just shows that you know you don't need a lot of a not a lot of knowledge to be able to to save lives. You know, it's it's really just it's very much basic knowledge, and CPR in particular is just the mechanics of of doing it. And once you've had a go at it once, most people uh, are able to then replicate that in a real time environment. Mm. So to say that it doesn't provide an advantage by doing first aid training is really not true. And, and as Cam said, he sees it day in day out, um, and you don't need to be you know, a genius or, or a studious person to be able to gain these skills. Okay. And they are practical skills, you know. They're not really theory skills. You don't need a lot of theory behind it. It's the practicality of it that you need. Great. And, Cam, as a paramedic, what, what have you seen as the most common reasons you've been called out for um, pee-pamping or on the road? So um, what we're looking at in, in that environment, so um, camping, touring, um, hiking, remote, Mostly, mostly tra traumatic injuries, um, and uh, just to name a few, 
things like trips and falls because it's an unknown environment um, people aren't familiar with. Um, it's not like your own living room where you know where everything is and people tend to trip over things, um, leading to um, soft tissue injuries, so sprains and strains or, at worst, fractures. Um, another common thing is um, burns, so especially um, in the, the confines of a caravan, everyone's kind of on top of each other, I guess, um, you know, boiling the water on the stove um, or even the, uh, the campfire at night. Yeah, looking at things um, in more remote, probably uh, environmental exposure, so um, either hyperthermia, but less so here in Tasmania, but more so things like hypothermia. So he's talking um, about hot and cold there, so being too hot, being too cold is what that means, and on top of that, dehydration. And the the, the really obvious one, and, the, and usually the um, quite um, severe ones, motor vehicle accidents, so either driving or manoeuvring accidents where you know people are in the way of large, heavy objects. Okay, so it sounds like that the main mechanisms of injury and causes of illness a family who's travelling around Australia need to worry about are dealing dealing with trauma related to motor vehicle accidents, um, slips, trips, falls leading to sprains and strains and fractures, and that sort of and plus also exposure. Is that that about sum it up as well as the burns? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much you're hitting the nail on the head there. Absolutely, and it and it comes down to you know that unfamiliar environment that you're going to be exposed to. And um, some of this stuff comes down to just preparation and the, having the right preparation for the, particularly if you're doing a full tour of Australia, as we know, um, Tasmania in particular, you've got a totally different environment to North Queensland. So if you're doing a, a national tour, you need to be prepared for the, the difference in um, environment that you're going to be exposed to. And we were having a laugh about it, but North Queensland, there's a lot more things up there that might bite you and do a bit of nasty damage to you than there are down in, say, Tasmania. So it's um, it's knowing your environment and being prepared for each environment. Although all our snakes are poisonous here. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any particular first aid skills that you think every person should know? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't it doesn't just come down to, to what you're talking about, being in camping and touring. There's some skills that... You know, I, I think everyone would be safer in our environment if they knew it. And CPR is the first one. It's the gold standard of everyone. If everyone knows how to do CPR, you know, we've got good statistics and good numbers showing that there's a lot of preventable deaths out there um, if people were able to do CPR or at least have a go at it. Um, the next one that's really important for me is um, hemorrhage control. I think you'd agree with that one, wouldn't you, Cam? Definitely. Yeah. And so being able to apply hemorrhage control and, again, such simple skills for people to learn and use. Um, the other one, when you go into remote environments that I um, really advocate for is knowing how to handle a choking incident um, and knowing how to deal with those really nasty bites that need pressure mobilisation uh, management. And there's pretty much four things in Australia that you need to really be focused on to be able to do that treatment. And all of these things that we're talking about are the stuff or the skills that you need because ambulances won't make it to you in time. So even if, um, even if you did call an ambulance and you were in a location where they could get to you as quickly as possible, if you can't intervene on these, then I'm afraid the outcomes are very poor and, and we see that, unfortunately. And, and that's a good point. I mean, paramedics can't be everywhere at all times. And if you're an hour from the nearest major centre and, you know, you have a severe bleed that you can't control, I don't think that's going to end well. So you, you mentioned about hemorrhage control. So with that severe bleeding, what sort of specific things should people know how to, how to do to control that? What's well, having the right equipment available is one thing. So having the right um, devices that you can use 
And the other thing about hemorrhage control is being able to identify when you need to act quickly and need to act fast. And again, it's, it's not that difficult to learn that process. Um, it's just a matter of being able to be prepared and not be... Um, people tend to get a little bit of that shock environment where they can't act. It takes them a little while just to get into to the um, situation and be able to do the right thing. So a little bit of training can help prevent that from happening and mean that you can act faster when it comes to hemorrhage control. Okay, so if we're talking um, learning hemorrhage control, how to deal with choking, pressure immobilisation bandages for the nasty bites, what's the best way yep. to learn these? Um, so you've got two training modalities that might suit uh, what you're after, and that would be doing a standard first aid course, which is what we call um, a provide first aid course. And you can do that with multiple different providers around Australia. I'll, I will say, you know, some providers are better than others um, without naming names. Uh, but what the difference between what um, we provide uh, with our business is a conceptualised training. So one thing you're going to miss out on when you do, say, a standard first aid course is the really good haemorrhage control. Um, that's not included in that. Uh, and the other thing is... And, and, that's one one of the, um, and that's one of the things that you guys, as first responders have just mentioned, is the most important thing. Yeah, we believe so. And that's not to say that that won't change. The Australian Resuscitation Council, which First Aid is all based on, uh, are, are absolutely recognising that hemorrhage control is very vital in saving lives, but it hasn't made it into the mainstream training of First Aid yet. Um, the other training course that would be preferable for any people that are caravanning or, or going into places that are remote is the remote First Aid training, which is a little bit more advanced in the sense it talks about how to maintain a, a casualty for a longer period of time, um, given that you might not have you might have access issues, um, and it talks about moving patients a little bit more if you've got to move from one locality to the other, etc. So, those are the two baseline training. But again, you're not going to get everything you need if you can find a provider that does conceptualised training, meaning they'll adapt it to what you're doing and what you need. That is always the best. And I and I know Cam will agree with me here. I always advocate receiving your training from health professionals as opposed to just stock standard first aid trainers. I think the person that's teaching you needs to have that higher level of care to understand why they're teaching you what they're teaching. And that gives you then as the receiver the confidence to know that what you're doing is actually going to save lives because that's what it's all about. It's often a question in the class too. Oh, yeah. How am I going to remember this at the time? Yeah, I'll never remember it. Sometimes just a bit of reassurance and um, just explain. We're giving an example perhaps of a case and, and saying this is what happened and this is what we did. And you know, basically it's most of it was um, basic first aid and those, applying those skills that they learn. Yeah. yeah. And as a family with small children, are there any other additional skills or training that someone should seek out or would the general provide first aid curriculum or remote first aid curriculum cover everything you should need to know? It, it's got, look, if you put it in this terms, right? So a first aid course is anywhere from eight to 16 hours for the 003, which is the provide first aid. In that, there's probably about 30 to 45 minutes of paediatric training, which is children training. So do I think that's adequate to be able to look after your kids well in a remote environment? No, I don't. Um, what I would like to see, again, is that conceptualised training where if you are going with children under the age of eight, um, then you have a specific training that is related to them and what their needs are. I'll just say that that's one thing that we do offer is specific paediatric first aid training. And again, the other thing that I'd like to say is you guys don't need to do accredited training. 
Um, this doesn't need a certificate. You just need the skills and to know that you've got them. So a provider that um, isn't just about taking your money but is actually about imparting the right knowledge, again, should be able to point you in the right direction of saying, look, you don't actually need accredited training. We can give you this training here and we'll give you the skills that you need specific to what you're going to be doing. Oh, that's, that sounds a really good point. It doesn't necessarily need to be a certificate three in X, Y and Z. It's not like you're going to apply for a job and have it on your resume. You just need to know how to provide the skills in real life. That is, that's exactly right. Yeah, yep, that's exactly. I'd prefer you spend the money on the right equipment um, and having the right equipment with you, which can sometimes be a little bit expensive on stuff that you think, well, I'm never going to use it. Well, I hope you never do use it. But, you know, you'd be better off investing the money on a really good tourniquet, commercial tourniquet, than you would spending extra money on a certificate that you can put on the wall of your caravan. I don't know if you've got space for it, do you? <laughs> no, I'd prefer to hang a tourniquet on the wall of the caravan. I don't think Natalie would Yeah, that, oh, that's way, way preferable. Put Frame on, the thing. I don't care. Just put it on the one. outside. <laughs> Everyone come knocking. Yeah. So for the small children under eight, um, what are other... Are there any additional or separate skills or are they just variations and just having to modify them for the smaller person? No, there, there are different skills. Um, we're not, children aren't just small versions of adults. They are dif different to us and they need to be managed differently. So, and there's certain things that they're a little bit more susceptible to than adults. And particularly when you're travelling around, um, illnesses uh, can be more of a concern with young children as their immune systems are building up. Um, so uh, children sort of under the ages of five can be susceptible to, say, febrile convulsions. Now, do you know how to manage a febrile convulsion um, and what's the right thing to do for your child if that happens? And you're not going to know. That develops in children from around the age of 14 to 18 months. Um, they normally grow out of it by about five years. It's actually not really that much of a dangerous thing to be exposed to. But if you don't know what you're doing, it can be a really frightening experience um, and you want to make sure that your child is safe uh, to considering that, you know, you're doing this great adventure and we don't want these things to be a part of it, that, that the story that you tell at the end of the adventure, we want to know what, you know, really awesome things that they experienced. Other than the febrile convulsions, are there any other particular conditions that the young children are susceptible to that we should be learning about? Yeah, look, it, it all relates to the fact that they're just smaller and they're going to have different things go wrong. But in terms of it being specific training, yeah, you modify the skills that you'll actually get on the course. So a first aid course will cover off on the basic skills and then there is some modifications that is needed when you're dealing with children and it's good for that to be pointed out to you. Um, for example, even on CPR, if I gave you the same amount of breaths as I did a child, um, then it wouldn't be adequate and vice versa. If I tried to breathe a full lung space into a small child's lungs, that's going to cause trauma. So it's knowing the difference and the modifications, like you said, um, and then just those few little caveats of, of stuff that kids are just going to be more susceptible to. Okay. And in terms of the Provide First Aid course, is the curriculum yeah. missing anything that you guys think are critical? Yeah. And you look, we teach this really regularly. Um, and we ourselves say during the course, look, we'd encourage you to go and do extra training on hemorrhage control in particular. And like I say, I think it will change. I think Australia's going to get this right and it's going to come into play, but it's not there yet. And between now and when someone could get to you guys to do some formal training, uh, what resources would you recommend people to get onto straight after they finish listening to this podcast? Oh, look, we'd always advocate for ourselves. Come and see us. Make Tazzy your journey and one of your stops and we'll come and talk Between to you. Between now and when uh, I can get a booking on the Spirit of Tasmania. 
<laughs> exactly. But look, in the interim, the internet is this wonderful, um, wonderful thing that you can get exposed to. Uh, YouTube is the best place so you can actually watch real-time videos. But what I will say is you need to be very mindful. There's a lot of stuff out there that is incorrect. It's a double-edged weapon. It is a double-edged weapon. And what, we, what we'd both agree is we'll advocate for Australian companies. Um, you know, St John do uh, a brilliant YouTube series uh, right. where they have lots of different different short, little short and sharp YouTube videos on individual skills. There is a large amount of paediatric or child um, first aid in that as well, so specific to that. It doesn't go so much into the remote, but it certainly does do water first aid skills like drowning and water recovery skills. So if I had to advocate one, I'd say make sure it's Australian. Um, make sure that it's a reputable company that has an RTO licence and then look through their videos that way. And from from my perspective, just purely for the fact that I haven't created them yet and Cam and I don't have our own YouTube channel, which we probably will one day, um, the St John Australia are the, are the ones that I would, I would look at if it was me and I was wanting to get that information. Just be wary though, that you, you, watch the, you watch the video, that's probably not even half the training. You need that hands-on as well. So you can only do that in face person, to face, face yeah. to face, yeah. in a in a training, in a in a class. So it's a stop no, just, you know, Correct. And I, I think watching the videos would be better than nothing. Certainly, give you at least a bit of a heads up. But what we talked about earlier with the you know the stress of the situation, I think if you just relied on that, then that situation when it did evolve is going to be a lot more stressful for you because you're not going to have that kind of touch and feel and and sight and everything that of, of what you would you know, cover off on mostly in a, in, a, in a classroom environment doing it on, on a mannequin, at least having some some goes before doing it for real. So yeah. do yourself a favour and um, don't just watch the videos, although it is better than nothing. Great. Now, Joe, you mentioned about ensuring they're Australian-based videos. What bad recommendations yes. do you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Well, the reason why I say Australian is because we operate um, in line with Australia and New Zealand uh, together with the Australian Resuscitation Council. And certainly a lot of us are exposed to TV and American um, style first aid in the in the television environment. Um, and a lot of the things that America advocates, we actually have good statistics to tell us that this is more harmful than it is good. Um, and we don't recommend that you do it. So, yeah, the Heimlich manoeuvre is one of those. You see that on TV all the time. Um, we don't do that. Statistics tell us that 20% of people that have the Heimlich manoeuvre performed on them will end up with a ruptured diaphragm. That's really bad. Don't do it. <laughs> there are better techniques, simpler techniques as well. Look, even in the Australian sector and in providers, you know what I was saying about making sure they're a reputable provider and I really like health professionals teaching is because I've gone to first aid courses myself because we have to do first aid courses to teach it. And some of the things that are said to me, I just think, are you sure you know what you're doing? It's crazy. Um, the standard one that I always get is the nosebleed one. People saying, put your head back and pinch your nose. No, you definitely don't do that. Um, not unless you want to fill your tummy up with blood and then have a nice blood vomit. Uh, so things like that. Cam, what are the other that we were talking about the other day, weren't we? There's a heap of them. The hemorrhage control one, the improvised tourniquets, that was one. Improvised tourniquets, a good one, yeah. Yeah, so improvised tourniquets are actually taught. Um, and a tourniquet is something you use to try and stop blood flow to a limb. 
and they're taught in first aid courses still to this day. It is part of the training. Um, but what, what we've learned is that 75% of all improvised tourniquets actually don't just not work, but they make the situation worse. Wow. Um, and for me, that is a huge number. Commercial tourniquets are really the only way to go. So, you know, I think that, that if you are a um, teaching first aid and you don't have that background knowledge and that understanding, you could potentially be causing harm. And one of the first rules of first aid or the principles of first aid is do no harm. That is what we're all about. Um, so, yeah, look, there's always the furfies. There's always the, the rogue instructors that go off and say something and it just makes you just go, uh, really? Uh, and they happen a lot. And you hear stories about that. You'll even find dedicated joke channels to that kind of stuff of, of weird and wacky things that people have been told. Um, and the way to avoid that is pick your, be specific about who you, don't just pick the cheapest provider. Think about who you're actually going to see. Are they reputable? Do they follow the ARC guidelines? And the real bonus is, are they actually a practising health professional? Well, before I go and rip up my senior first aid certificate that's on the caravan wall and hang a tourniquet instead, <laughs> you've convinced me I need to get one of those. Yeah. If I was to start yeah. a first aid kit from scratch tomorrow, what would be the top five yeah. to ten things that everyone travelling should have in their toolbox? I'd say one of the very first things and the most high priority for me is bandages of multiple sizes. Um, the bandage can get you out of a lot of trouble. Uh, Cam, what and and the, well, the bandage is also versatile, so not just using it for bandaging. You can use it um, for slings, slings for pressure mobilisation, hemorrhage control. Hemorrhage control. Yeah, yeah, so it's a very versatile. So if you're going you're to stow something in a kit, then it needs to have multiple uses or, um, or it's just going to become a bit of a dead weight for your, for your trip around Australia. Any particular types of bandages you'd recommend or avoid? Yeah, no, look, I really like the heavy-duty crate bandages, um, and that's what they're called, heavy-duty crate bandages, in various sizes, with the minimum um, size being five centimetres, and then I'd like to see five centimetres, 10 centimetres, and 15 centimetres, and I want multiples of each of those. So a minimum of two of each size is really important. And uh, if you came along to a first aid course, you'd really quickly realise why I say that. They're, like Cam was saying, multiple uses, but also effective use. So those two centimetre bandages that come in the, the first aid kit you buy at Big W, not really worth it. Yeah. Look, I don't... That's a good start. It's a, <laughs> you're going to be you got, there a while. You've got two of them. Well, you've got to talk about it in the essence of what your first aid kit is, Peachy. So you should have really two designated kits. You need to have your emergency response, your save your life kit, and then you have what I call your coughs, colds or holes kit, which has all the stuff that really, in the heat of the moment, you don't want to have to rifle through to, uh, to deal with an emergency situation. So I always say two separate kits... Um, the emergency response kit's got those multiple bandages. It's got a tourniquet, a commercial tourniquet in it. It's got a bit of sterile water, a face shield, and really importantly, some trauma shears, which are um, really good to have in your kit. And then depending on your level of training, you can even go with some more, um, more life-saving uh, devices like chest seals and, and um, hemostatic dressings, but you need to be trained in those, and you need to be trained in commercial tourniquets as well. Um, and then your cost cold sore holes kit, that's the one that's got all those weird and wacky things in it that you think, am I ever going to use that? You know, it's got your splinter probes in it. It's got your medications to deal with um, the headaches and issues like that. Uh, it's got uh, Band-Aids of every variety and size, please, because I guarantee you're going to have to put a Band-Aid on the end of a toe, and that's really difficult to do with the normal ones. Okay, so um, by the sounds of things, making sure you can have everything 
but have two separate yeah. kits. So in case of emergency, yeah. the yeah, I say, and... I say certainly from my point, when I operate in the in a field environment, um, I have my, what I call my grab bag, and my grab bag is the save your life bag, and then I have my med kit bag, which has all of the um, the other things that are quite frankly too heavy for me to carry around, and and. I'm really about saving your life. That's what I want to do. Yeah, first aid, you're always going to have to put the Band-Aids on. You're always going to have to do the sunburn cream. You're going to have to do the Stingos um, and stuff like that. But do you really need that right there and then? No, you don't. You've got time. Um, so it doesn't matter if that kit isn't, is, you know, sort of packed away, but your emergency kit needs to be readily accessible and always accessible. And Cam, anything else from yourself? So do we mention gloves? I didn't mention gloves. So I think gloves, but again, if it's you know, catastrophic hemorrhage, then would you even bother putting gloves on? I think we need to put the tourniquet on first. Yeah. Um, but there'll be a... there'll be a little bit of contention in that comment, though. I will say, um, you know, we really do advocate for personal protection, but when it comes to family members, um, people are more inclined to get in and get it done um, before they think about self protection. Yeah. Um, but in a in a civilian setting, and certainly in a health professional setting, for us, it's a barrier that's a must. Yeah, certainly the gloves. You know, but you know, you're doing it. First aid on a bystander. Yeah. Um, but again, like catastrophic hemorrhage that needs to be controlled immediately. Yeah. And um, we're talking repeller injuries, you know, shark bites, amputations. Um, the, what's the the vehicle recovery with the with the wires? Snap, the, yeah, the snatch strap. Snatch strap. So you've, you so know you've got to know about your your two point five um, length distances from that for safety. Yeah. Is that a common thing uh, you see? Yeah, vehicle recovery, people getting injured very during dangerous. vehicle recovery is very, very dangerous. dangerous. And unfortunately, if they're not trained and they're being a bit cowboyish about, about it, yeah, you, Cam's going to get a phone call, unfortunately. Mm. And in your first aid kit, is there anything that you see or hear of people carrying that you think is a waste of time and why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't looked in a first aid kit for a long time. Yeah, I don't use commercial ones. We make our own because the half the stuff, half the stuff. It's just a waste of money. Yeah. Look, I, I really there's a few things that that I very specifically don't like. Um, I don't like the uh, padded pressure dressings that they call them a pressure dressing. Um, they're basically just a big absorbable dressing that just soaks up a lot of blood and doesn't really do much else. Um, I, I I'm not a fan of the the cheap. Products, unfortunately, when it comes to medicine, for some reason you've got to add a zero onto everything to get it to get the right product. But you need products that are going to be st sterile um, because if you're in a remote environment, things can be dirty. Uh, so you want to try and maintain that cleanliness. Um, and you've also got to pay attention to the fact that you can buy those commercial first aid kits and check the expiry dates on some of the stuff. They're going to run out of date very, very quickly. Um, so if you go and purchase the item yourself independently and make up your own kit, you can have a look and make sure that you've got two to three years on these items for them to maintain being sterile and also being current medication. So neither of you have, you have a commercial first aid kit. You've both built your own based on yes. hemorrhage control, choking, pressure mobilisation and burns. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. And when I when I go hiking and bushwalking, I have a belt pack. So I have a pack that I wear around my waist um, and then I have a vehicle pack that's in the car. Great. And what's the funniest or weirdest reasons you've been called out? Well, I've already started laughing. Well, not for me being called out specifically, but I'll, I'll tell a story. And if you don't laugh, that's okay. Um, it doesn't have a good outcome, unfortunately. But I, I was um, 
I was in an environment with a whole bunch of uh, people that I didn't really know and suddenly I heard a call for, for help, um, a, a really panic-stricken, you know, help me, help me, oh, my God, help me. And uh, I've done my thing and I've run over and uh, couldn't quite work out what was going on. But what I did see immediately was a water source with some quite shallow water and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's a drowning incident and, and you know, heart starts racing, get a bit worried. And then the lady that had sung out for help turns around and she's holding her pet bird and the bird had unfortunately drowned. And, yes, I did start CPR <laughs> on the bird. It didn't, it didn't go as planned and we didn't have a successful outcome. I think he was too far gone, but, damn, I gave it a red-hot go. <laughs> so that was, that was my funniest incident. So, like, I don't know. like the difference between children and adults, you should learn bird CPR as well if you want to try to go down that path. Bird CPR, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. And dog CPR, please, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how about yourself, Cam, as a paramedic? What's the funniest or So, um... To put, to put the call into context, the week before I got called to a young girl that um, had a bookshelf fall on her and she was quite, she was injured and um, because the way the bookshelf fell, it blocked us getting access into the room to actually help her. So we had to get the fire brigade in to get in, get in through the second story window and, and, and treat her. So the following week I got a, another, a, got called to another, another job involving um, someone trapped between furniture. So I was kind of on edge because I thought, oh, here we go, another one that's going to be injured. Mm. And um, we, uh, myself and the, the, the gentleman I was working with um, arrived at the house or outside the house. It was the middle of the night and there was a young fellow there waiting for us and um, he was kind of looking a bit nervous and we rolled the window down and he said, oh, look, thanks for coming, guys, but um, I don't need your help anymore. I've, I've fixed the situation. So we're all a bit kind of confused at you know, what had happened. So I said, look, um, do you mind telling us what happened? And he said, well... Myself and my girlfriend were getting a bit amorous, oh, and um, <laughs> and uh, I've slipped off the bed and got my knee caught between the bed and the wall. <laughs> and it went all red. <laughs> you, can see, you can see it in the in the in the, in the limited light. And uh, I said, "Well, just to satisfy our curiosity, how, how did you manage to get yourself out of that uh, sticky situation?" And he went even redder, and he said, "Well, I just had some strawberry lube on hand." <laughs> Squirted that down the wall and managed to slip my knee out and, uh, hey, presto, I'm free. So thanks for coming, guys, but uh, I don't need you anymore. So, so I said, mate, you've provided us with years of entertainment with that thought. So the, the strawberry lube might not go in my first response, first aid kit. I might have to keep that in my second one. It saved him. Yeah. It, it saved him from a lot of embarrassment. That's exactly right. Maybe we should add that to the list, a bit of KY in the, in the old kit. I'll leave that up to you to leave that in the interview or not. <laughs> Is it PG enough? If you could have a giant billboard in the middle of Hobart and you could have anything on it first aid related, what would it say and why? That's a, that's a tricky one. You know, there's a couple of things that I'd want it to say. Um, probably the first one is don't be, don't be frightened to have a go. You can be, you can be a lifesaver. Um, and that's really what the, the motto all about is the ARC guidelines is, um, you know, uh, oh, God, I've lost the train of thought. Any attempt at resuscitation is better than no attempt. You know, that's their motto. That's their standing catchphrase. So I agree with that. Just just have a go. We're really well protected in Australia with the Good Samaritan law and uh, and we really want you to try and, and be a superhero. And the other one that I would um, would say is that superheroes carry tourniquets. So that's my that's mine. Just to go back a step, so you mentioned about jump in and have a go in the Good Samaritan Act. What, what is that? Yeah. Mean? Oh, so we've got the Good Samaritan law in Australia, and, and a lot of people say to us, you know, 
in courses, oh, you know, but what if they sue me? What if this happens? What if that happens? And as I've said to them in those courses, you know, legally you're actually very well protected. As long as you only operate within the, the training that you've received and you wouldn't receive training outside of the Australian Resuscitation Guidelines, Australia, we've got really robust laws and they've been tested and no one's been successfully um, prosecuted against the Good Samaritan law. And what that means is that even if you do first aid and the outcome is poor, um, that you can't then be um, held liable for what, you're, what you did. Again, the caveat to that is as long as you don't operate outside your skill set, i.e. just because you saw it on TV, you can't then go and do it in real time. Um, so that's really good. The difference to, to you and uh, to Cam and I and, say, uh, the general person on the street learning first aid is we are actually bound by other laws, but the general person on the street who doesn't have um, a health professional background, then that good surrounding law protects them. So the motto here is if you think you can do it, you can do it. Have a go. You, you might be the success story, you know. Let's be the good statistic. Let's be the surviving statistic. So this billboard's getting bigger and bigger, but that's okay. Um... It's a massive billboard. <laughs> and you know what the other thing about, Peachy, about saying about the billboard and stuff like that is, look, every time I teach people first aid, in the back of my mind I think my children are now safer. So every person that knows it, to me, means that my family is safer. And, that, and that's really how I think about it. And that's why when I teach, I want to teach it perfect and the best that I can. And I want to encourage people to be the best that they can at it. And it's for that selfish reason. I want my family to be safe. So maybe at the bottom of the billboard, we need to have a little asterisk as well, say you're protected by the Good Samaritan Act. Yeah, it's good for people to know. It really is because it can take that uncertainty out of it um, and can make you feel more confident about what you're doing. Excellent. And how about yourself, Cam? The billboard. So a picture of a combat application tourniquet and a separate picture of a like a normal household cat, like a feline cat. I'm looking at one now <laughs> in my kitchen. Um, and just the, the question, uh, which one of these was, will save your life? Hey, that's a really good one. Oh, I like it. Can you picture that, Peachy? Do you understand what he's saying? I can absolutely picture that, and you better hurry up and put that on your website before I steal it. <laughs> oh, I feel like that might be a good idea. I'm going to put it on the Facebook site. I'm going to make it tonight, put it on the Facebook site. Yeah, I like that one. That's no, really good. You, 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 can, you, can, you can write it as however you want. Only one of these pussies will save your life. <laughs> Whatever. Uh... Peachy is uh, maybe even just uh, what I'm quite proud of. Um, oh no, Joe. So our company name doesn't actually invoke uh, images of first aid training. Uh, it's quite unique. Even just our company name on our billboard um, with the web with the website, just for people to go and just have a look and, and see what we're about and um, what we do, and hopefully how we can help. Well, yeah, well this is a good absolutely. opportunity for you to tell us what it is you do and how you can help and what your company name is. Yeah, well, you, you noted that we're, um, we're na our name is Clinical FX um, and the caveat to that is we're medical moulage and training solutions. So Cam and I actually have a passion for patient simulation, meaning we, um, we create patients for, for people to train on and create it as realistic as possible because um, what we know is that you get better training outcomes from that. So that's kind of the fun stuff that we do. Um, and the, then the serious stuff that we do is the, the first aid training and, and the first response training. I'll, I'll put it as first response training as opposed to first aid because we can teach obviously right up to the to the level of um, registered nurse and paramedic and, and then beyond. Um, so the level of teaching that we can do through our company is highly contextualised. 
Um, and at the same time, it's um, across all walks of life, uh, right from the, from, you know, you, the, the layperson learning first aid, right through to, you know, the highest level specialists. Um, and we're really proud of the fact that in Tasmania, we're really one of, one of the only providers um, that we're aware of that can do this type of training across all, all spectrums. Um, you'll have trainers that can do a little bit here, a little bit there, um, but they can't put the whole package together. And so that's really what we're about and what really what we're trying to do um, is to, to fill that gap that we know exists uh, and bring first response to everyone. Great. And so if someone was currently already in Tasmania or they're listening to this podcast on the spirit of Tasmania on the way over for their holiday and they wanted first aid training, how would they get in contact with you? Yeah. Yeah, so we have a website, um, www.clinicalfx.com.au. Uh, we are on Facebook just. Uh, I am working on it. I'm a little bit like you, Peachy. I, I learn it and then do it. Um, so I'm trying to get our social media out there because we're a bit old school and we know that that's the way to communicate. But we've got the website. Um, the website has a direct inquiry page on it that you can either email us, phone us. Um, in terms of providing your training, that's the other good thing about what we can do is we're actually a mobile training organisation, so we can come to you um, and we can provide the training in whatever environment that you want to have it in. So if you would want to have training, for example, um, with your caravan space and in your own space um, with your children there, then that's what we can do. Um, and that gives you the advantage of being able to use your own first aid kit or your own stores. Obviously, we would use the disposable ones with you. Um, and become familiar with your equipment. Uh, and that's, the, I guess, the benefit. You don't have to sit in a classroom with us. If you want to do it outside in the great outdoors, then I'm all for it. Great. Well, we'll link to your uh, website and your Facebook group in our show notes. So if anyone wants to find you, they can do that easily. Just want to say yeah. thank you very much for your time today, guys. Uh, I've got a few extra things on my shopping list now, a few more skills I think I'll need to learn. Appreciate that. Haze and Strawberry Lube. <laughs> that could be the title of your podcast. <laughs> That's perfect, Peachy. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to a Big Peachy Adventure Families Travelling Full Time. What drives us is hearing of those we've inspired to simplify their life and take the first step towards their travelling goals. So please... If you get any value from what we're doing, the biggest reward we could ask is that you share this podcast with your travelling buddies. Don't forget to click subscribe and also please leave us a review. Five stars hopefully, but if not, that's okay. Please leave a comment and let us know what we can do better. If you'd like to connect with us personally or have any questions, you can find us on Facebook at A Big Peachy Adventure. See you on the road and happy travels.